When I say middle manager, what comes to mind? Maybe it's the familiar trope. Someone who's at their wit's end regularly, not exactly sure how to deal with their boss and the demands of the firm or the needs of the people that they're trying desperately to lead. That's McKinsey senior partner emeritus, Bill Shanninger. McKinsey partners Emily Field and Brian Hancock agree that middle managers have a bad rap. There's this idea that middle managers are the bureaucrats. They make work. Somebody that is there as a checker. Somebody is there to make sure that the three extra steps in the prescribed process are done. Somebody that calls four extra meetings than what is needed. Somebody that is there that is getting in the way. Ouch. But Bill, Emily, and Brian are pushing back on the hackneyed reputation of medals some middle managers by writing their new book, Power to the Middle. They believe not only are middle managers far from dispensable, they are in fact essential to an inspired and more productive workplace, especially post-pandemic. This is the McKinsey Podcast, where we help you make sense out of the world's toughest business challenges. I'm Lucia Rahili, Global Editorial Director and your host for today. Okay, so taking a step back from the stereotype, the most basic definition of middle management is just what it sounds like. Defining what is a middle manager at one level isn't that hard. It's a manager that sits somewhere between the front line and the CEO suite. And when you think about managing up, it's an art form in itself, often of influencing, and really thinking about being able to be the translation layer and understanding a top-down vision. It's the implementation of that top-down vision that's crucial and frequently overlooked. What is one of the most core roles that a manager plays? It's being a people leader. And too often, we forget that vital role a manager plays. Here's the thing. Done right, middle management is an opportunity. That's where the action is. It's the closest to having an influence on people day to day, their experience, their life, what's happening. And it's the closest in actually being able to take a broad vision and bring it to reality. When I think about what middle managers are when they're at their best, they're empowered to lead and drive impact. There are force multipliers who take a vision from a leader, and they make it reality. And they're talent magnets who attract high performers, and they make those high performers shine even brighter by developing and apprenticing them. And the managers who succeed are those who respond reasonably to the reality of the people they lead. Here's a great example. So if we think about the role of the middle manager in hybrid, I'll tell the story of two different managers in the very same business unit. So a CEO said, everyone back to the office, 40 hours a week. One manager, a technical engineer who'd grown up within the organization, passed down that message to his team. Everyone in the office, 40 hours a week, let's go. One of his team members, who was quite literal, said, well, I'm in the field three days next week. How do I hit my 40 hours? And the technical manager said, hold on, I've got to go back to leadership and ask. Another manager, same team, saw the same edict, 40 hours a week in office. And she told her team, hey, I know you're focused on driving outcomes. I know you're in market right now. Let's get together in the office when it makes sense. And let's focus on doing what's right. 
And what's not surprising about these two managers is that the second manager, that translator, people want to work for her. And many of the folks from that technical team have actually moved on to work with that manager. It's a tale of two managers, the kind people do and don't want to work with. There's a distance to close between the derided stereotype, which is very real for many, and the potential for greatness. So what's standing in the way? Here's Bill. I think they're faced with an overwhelming demand on their time. So on one hand, they have what their job has been created to be. Largely, what's been called strategic planning, but it really is tactical and or operational planning. Someone else has done the strategy. Now they're making plans to do plans, in many cases, doing reports, doing PowerPoint decks, administrivia. Administrivia. What that means in plain language is... Too much process, too much paperwork, too many meetings, too many performance by attendance. All those things take time. Common denominator is it just takes time and attention. They're feeding the beast, if you will way more than they're developing their employees. What surprised me most when we were really digging into the research for the book was just how bad it's gotten. So I was working with a healthcare organization. Their middle managers had to, in any given week, filter through 300 plus requests that were coming from headquarters. And it was just overwhelming because to them, to the manager, it wasn't seen as something that was driving near-term performance, nor was it seen as something that was helping their people. And this organization said, stop. Why don't we figure out from the manager's perspective what's going to be most important to them enabling the work with their people, what's going to be most important to them in actually delivering on their broader client service mission. I think what they found is by reorienting on the manager, they were actually able to eliminate a lot of the administrivia tasks. Even when they're not bogged down by administrivia, Middle managers can often suffer from a company's over-reliance on what's called the player-coach model. So a player-coach is somebody that is, in part, responsible for leading a team or a group of people, and in part, responsible with individual contributor responsibilities. There are places where player-coaches work well, where it's a relatively small team, and where the player coach actually has real deep expertise that is relevant in the context of that team. So think a tax department and a law department and a corporation. There you might actually have a player coach that's responsible for overall tax and has somebody on their team that is responsible for state taxation in one of the states where the organization is most prevalent. That works well. Where it starts to break down is when you're expected to be a player coach where your player responsibility is well over half of your time and your coaching is a team of 7, 10, 15 people, at that point, you don't have time in your day to do one-on-ones while you're also delivering on your individual responsibilities. But frequently, people are promoted to manager roles even though leading people might not be their strength or interest. The challenge is that those people likely got promoted because of their individual skill and their own technical acumen. But the extent to which they were ever held to account to develop their leadership skills, that's pretty variable. Deeply skilled engineers, for example, who were rock stars at their individual craft and then got promoted, but they weren't developed. And what's more, maybe they didn't want to be managers and ultimately they didn't succeed. And in talking with organizations, what I've consistently heard can be exemplified by a chief technology officer who said, my biggest regret is promoting 
rockstar technical talent to be managers. And ultimately, they would have been better left as individual contributors. Too many organizations, to be successful, to be seen as doing well, to progressing through your career, you have to pick up people management. But Brian says there should be two tracks for promotions. Some people are promoted for their expertise and others for their people management skills. So keeping those separate, I think, is key. Organizations would be well served to create some exposure and early development before somebody enters the role as an emerging people leader. How do they try it on for size? How do they figure out, like, do I like this? Am I good at it? Do I want to do it? But what if a company doesn't have time for its people to experiment and is faced with hyperscaling and an unwieldy number of direct reports for its folks to manage? Brian recalls working with a fast-growing software company that helps hospitals with their day-to-day operations. As they grew, they made it a priority to stay true to their culture above all. All the human parts. But as that started to scale, you needed managers to make sure that they were developing the new folks. You needed managers to make sure that it was holding to the same values, to the same way of working. So you can't just bring in people from another organization and say, okay, go ahead and do what you were doing. And the managers are critical for providing feedback, making sure that new hires are holding true to the original mission, and that they're also enabling the creativity that's required to hit that S curve and growth. One of those managerial responsibilities Brian mentioned, feedback, is fundamental for growth. So giving feedback, giving hard feedback and honest feedback is such an underdeveloped muscle in organizations. Managers are responsible for the performance of their organization. And when you think about that, they can't be reactive about it where they say, let's see what people do. They need to really work with their people to remove roadblocks, to challenge them to achieve more, and to give them feedback all in the spirit of getting better. And you need to think about this not just as, let me train people to give feedback. People also need to learn how to receive feedback. Both skills, critically important. And what we see is having a framework can really sort of lower the waterline and just normalize how we do things around here. McKinsey uses the OILS framework. OILS is an acronym that stands for Observation, Impact, Listening, and Solutions Plus Strategy. This idea of O, observation. Let's actually state what you're seeing, not what you feel, but actually, hey, did you notice you interrupted somebody in that meeting and they didn't get a chance to share their perspective. That's the O, state the observation in a fact-based way. I, what's the impact it had, right? That individual felt like their perspective wasn't valued and we might've missed out on a really great idea. What was the impact? Why should I care about that observation, right? L is important, it's listen. Giving feedback is a two-way conversation And you can't just tell the feedback and expect somebody to take it. You have to also listen to them. What's going through their mind? And then S. S is about solutioning and strategizing. Maybe next time you are in a meeting, you're going to make sure that every voice is heard. Or you're going to specifically say, hey, I haven't heard from you. And I'd love to hear your perspective. Solutioning is really important because then people can go try it out and continuously improve. But if you don't give the feedback, 
People can't grow, right? We're not clairvoyant. We can't read minds. And if we don't tell people what they need to do to get better in the spirit of deeply caring about them as individuals, we're missing out on our role as a manager. These improvements don't start and end with the manager, though. Some need to originate from the top. When we think about building a feedback culture, it's really important to start with the top team. And importantly, they need to practice giving feedback to each other as peers, to their direct reports, and also, equally crucial, they need to practice receiving feedback and asking for feedback. Bill agrees and says their conversations with middle managers indicated that leadership rarely valued managers for focusing on their people. When you asked them, and we did, what do you think really has impact? They thought that some planning was useful, but they really thought that spending time and developing talent was going to be really important. And we said, well, what are you evaluated on or what are you rewarded for? And talent was not a big part of that. And so the ones that do it are basically doing it off the side of their desk, the ones that are doing the talent stuff. But there seems to be a burgeoning shift of perspective within leadership. Leaders are asking themselves now, what's my role in really empowering managers? And frankly, they're recognizing that they haven't invested in managers, and it is on them. It's on the senior leaders to really unblock managers and to change how managers are perceived. One way to unblock managers is to deliver a kind of assembly line of crystal clear communication between senior leadership and management. Where a senior leader is spending time with their managers up front saying, Let's talk about the problem we're solving. Let's structure it together. Let's really align. And then I'm going to empower you with that clarity of vision to say, go off and conquer. And let's have repeated check-ins to review progress, to tweak, to upgrade and get input. This type of hands-on support has a better shot at working. Emily says too often she sees teams work tirelessly to solve a problem, to present it to senior leadership, only for leadership to say, that's not the problem I was trying to solve. And I can't tell you how often that happens. And this isn't hours, this isn't days. This is months or years of time that teams have essentially wasted all because a senior leader wasn't clear on the problem up front. And the old adage holds, time is money. We know that the relationship with the boss is the most important relationship at work. And for the corporations, It matters massively to the bottom line. We keep hearing 2023. It's the year of the manager. We can't afford to have this be the year of the manager. This has to be the century of the manager. That's how we'll win. Find out more about Bill Bryan and Emily's groundbreaking research and recommendations in their new book, Power to the Middle. Thanks so much for listening to the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Lucia Rahili. And I'm Roberta Fasaro. Find us on McKinsey.com. We'll have a transcript of this episode up shortly. And check out the McKinsey Insights app where you can find this podcast and other helpful content updated daily. And if you would, we'd love for you to leave a rating and a review. We'll see you in two weeks.